1: You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports.
2: Well, good morning, everybody. I'm, as you can tell, it's not Naz or Wally here. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Least fan, filling in for Naz and Wally, who, after a very hectic week, and I think last Sunday in particular with Eddie Shack on, they decided to exercise load management. And saving themselves for down the road. So today, I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Mr. Lance Hornby from the Toronto Sun. Good morning, Lance. Thank you,
3: Mike. Uh, You're replacing two people.
2: That's uh, that's quite admirable of you. Well, that's not bad. That's not bad. I hope
3: you're getting double overtime. And it's a Sunday, too, so... Triple time and a half or something.
2: Well, I have a Tim Hortons coffee and a uh, Toronto Sun newspaper. So I think that was, in, and I had to pay for those. That's, so.
3: uh, well, that's a good way. Talk to me. I'll get you a good uh, deal on a subscription. But that's a great way to start your morning.
2: That is a pretty good way. So speaking of our morning, it's been, it's been quite a week in the world of sports. Uh, you know, starting off with the Don Cherry situation, Aram McClain last night. We've got the CFL playoffs in Toronto, or outside of Toronto, pardon me, in the Mm -hmm. Toronto area. Uh, We also have Toronto FC losing in the championship. Uh, The Raptors continue to make uh, headways almost more than they did last year for being the feel-good team. The Argos and Jays try to make headlines and feebly making those attempts, but uh, nevertheless, but... You know what this all boils down to? It. There's only one team. Anybody's going to be talking about what's going on right now. And
3: yes, I didn't get many Argonaut tweets last night, uh, oddly enough. At <laughs> least are losing 6-1 uh, to one well, in Pittsburgh. Well, you yeah. were there, so... Oh well, you know what? Uh, it, it, it was interesting before the game, uh, talking to uh, people like uh, Zach Hyman. He said, "You know what? We are, uh, you know, we, we've created a big mess here. Uh, I feel we're on the verge of uh, cleaning it up. I'm sure he'd like to uh, take that back uh, this morning uh, a little bit, but uh, you know, um, uh, five in a row, longest uh, losing streak I think since uh, March of, of 2017. Uh, there, you know." The first couple were one goal losses, and they were they were playing uh, half decently. Last night, though, in a in a, in a game with uh, let's say winning conditions, Mike, they had uh, they they should have uh, had a, a better effort, knowing it was uh, Casimir Kaskasuo's first game. They talked about playing a little better in front of them. Uh, they had an equally uh, you know injury ravaged Pittsburgh team. They had uh, some you know the, who also played last night. So I, I think of all the back to backs and uh, and the chance to end the streak, uh, especially considering you know. Crosby was out and that kind of thing. It was a game they could have won, and once again they started out well. And uh, but when they didn't get that first goal, it went south.
2: Yeah, I mean we're going to be uh, Rick Vives is going to join us in a couple of minutes, you know, and he went through some turbulent times with the Toronto Maple Leafs during <laughs> his tenure here. So we're going to get him because I I am more concerned with uh, I mean the body language of the players and and particularly the guy standing behind the bench. I mean last night, I mean the game wasn't twenty seconds old and already the panel was discussing, you know, was the mm-hmm. clock ticking yeah. and. You know, you remember as a kid when you used to hear the bell walking down the street and the, the sharpener, and the knife sharpener was walking down the street? Well, I, I think I heard a bell about, uh, you know, 10 o'clock last night. And it wasn't night. for
3: your lawnmower. That's and been, it, and uh, it wasn't you know, for the lawnmower. Or your, so, or your hedge clippers, yeah.
2: I mean, it's, I mean, you and I have had this discussion over the last couple of months. I mean, we're 22 mm-hmm. games into the season. This is a win-now league. This is a league you cannot fall behind. And Toronto's now out of a playoff spot. They've the, they tied for the most games played in the league. Mm-hmm. Is this fair or unfair criticism about Babcock? Uh, uh, no
3: i I don't think so, especially when you consider uh you know the uh uh you know the promises to do better coming off the playoff series last year the changes they made with uh you know the new assistant coaches bringing in the new players uh that kind of thing and and you know let's face it i mean uh Babcock talks a lot and he he talks a good game and uh for two or three seasons he's been able to deliver on hundred point seasons and uh that's been tolerable for people who uh you know who, who are willing to look askance if uh, you know if one day the the power play isn't working well or the uh, or backup goaltending Toronto by and large has been able mm-hmm. to score its way out of trouble and now that's not happening now you're starting to see you know some things that uh, you know were quite evident maybe in the Ron Wilson uh, Randy Carlisle years yeah. you know where you didn't see that cohesion and that's that's a worrisome thing but uh, given that let's also look a little bit uh, farther let's look on the ice first of all where uh, some players haven't stepped up and I, I mentioned the injuries on Pittsburgh because I did play that question to a couple of players last night you know you've uh, you know you've played boston you've played pittsburgh teams that have missing a lot of guys and yet you know they they seem to come up with better efforts uh, than you do and they sort of you know they were um you know they acknowledged those uh comments and they said we're really not looking at who's in or out of the lineup uh but bottom line as mike and a lot of the players said they they were out class last night and and uh in in a road game with a uh, a great uh, fan base that came down, uh, one of the ushers was telling me before. He always likes it when the Leafs come to town because people make that long drive from Toronto. And indeed, it was funny. The Leafs were messing up, and yet nobody was booing them because they had they were in front of their own people. So it was uh, it was sort of quite uh, quite ironic. But it, again, it was winning conditions last night. No reason to lose six to one, especially when they've talked about picking up their game once they get on the road.
2: So let's look at a couple of things. Let's let's start with the power play, which is I mean, of course, the Leafs, as we've discussed also in the in the past is they are not giving themselves those opportunities by creating penalties or putting themselves in position to be fractured up upon, it, if you will, for lack of a better word. So the power play as I look at it now, I mean, one of my concerns is it's it's so defendable. And and teams have figured them out. And and so why not shake it up a little bit? And again I know right away it's going to be the stubbornness of Mike Babcock, but here you've got a guy who brought in Tyson Berry who was brought in who's a point eater and a point getter when he was with Colorado, playing with the number one guys, his name now is being banned about, about possibly, you know, this is a big year for him, as a, and a, under contract, and not that, that should have anything to do with it, but the fact is, this guy played number one play, a power play with Colorado last year on a potent, potent line. Why not put him with Riley and 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 put and put 9 ander up front a little bit more with, and I know they do occasionally, with Tavares and Matthews, because they've got to, like, they're too stationed, and teams are defending against them, so just... Go this way. This is the same
3: complaint everybody had last year in the playoffs, right? But they did switch it up. They brought in Paul McFarland. He was one of the reasons they brought him in as an assistant coach. So do so what's don't going be looking wrong? Well, don't be, you know, again, it's uh, not to, uh, you know, uh, not to let Babcock, Babcock off the hook here, but you know what? What's going on with this, uh, you know, what's going on with the, with the master plan here? And they did switch it up. They had, uh, I think it was Marner and, uh, and, uh, Matthews switching sides. wings, yes. but now Marner's not there, right? So you, you're looking for some other things. And, you know, back to your earlier point, they're not using their speed as much to draw them. And they're getting, uh, you know, they're, you know, there's a lot of, uh, looking back at the referee and shrugging their shoulders, looking for, uh, you know, looking for calls and that kind of thing. But you gotta earn those things. You gotta, you, know, you gotta use the speed to drive, get some, uh, you know, Get some of those uh, ticky tack penalties that seem to be going against the the Maple Leafs, and uh, you know uh, I don't disagree with you. But I mean, when Andreas Janssen is going to the net uh, as he is often, and uh, you know he's taking the abuse for a little for a smaller guy. Then that's uh, that kind of tells you something that uh, other people have to get in there and pay the price. I notice they've moved to Veris in there a little bit, but you know I think they need uh, maybe get one or two goals, get some uh, you know get some more chances, get some goals. Maybe that uh, issue takes uh, care of itself. But I think just as concerning is the penalty kill, which uh, you know. W- w- you, you have some uh, really uh, decent players in, in in Kapanen, certainly now that Hyman's back, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know and Muzzin. But the fact it, it's letting in some goals, and uh, last night the first goal against for, by Pittsburgh was a power play goal, and that uh, you know in this fragile state the Leafs are, in. that was a backbreaker.
2: Well, I, I mean, I think I, I, I mean I agree with you on that, and I, I and I think that uh, you know one of the things is is that the players are. I mean, it's it's one of these situations that you see in a losing culture and unfortunately for the Maple Leafs they seem to be entrenched in that now and they squeeze the sticks a little tighter the puck is like a grenade on their Mm -hmm. stick nobody wants to overstep their bounds and do extra because you don't want to stand out and you could almost see in that first power play goal the players were almost staying back to a degree and they they had three or four whacks at the puck before it finally went in the net
3: but they did a good job the first minute and I think that that penalty came with twenty seconds or less right. to, to go. So they, they, you know, they did have their first, uh, their first uh, unit out there. But right, it, uh, you know, uh, my only, um, you know, my my only uh, opposition to that statement would be Toronto still seems to start. Uh, on time, they they generate some chances. But when they don't, this is where, you know, we're, we're, both you and I sort of agree, the squeezing yeah. of the stick uh, issue here. That comes when they don't get that early goal. And 17 games out of 23 where they don't score first, when you have, uh, you know, Babcock and a lot of them spending their entire off day in the morning skate, talk about start on time, start on time, do this, you know, do that. And they have all these uh, resources out there. They have the pre-scout. They got state-of-the-art video. If you can't, you know, to give up the first goal, 17 times Sometimes. out of 23. That's, uh, you know, that is, uh, you know, you, you can't blame fans for wondering, uh, you know, what's what's going on.
2: Well, you know, and I guess before I start the next one, I guess sort of a little bit of uh sameless uh, self-promotion here, uh, speak before we get to the goaltenders, I use this as a little bit of a segue for you. Uh, you know, goaltenders are right now are at a premium, especially backups. And I know they talk about the Maple Leafs with, um, um, you know, they don't, they, you know, 500 here or 500 here, would are given give them the room to go and get somebody a little bit better yep. than what they yep. could. yeah. yeah. But I know goaltending is a problem. Like myself, as an example, our Markham Men's Hockey League team, we're losing a goalie, and we've had a problem <laughs> in that all year. So, you know, <laughs> well, I remember— How, how we're, good is your
3: number one guy? Maybe uh, maybe get him down to Bay Street uh, well,
2: in the next little while. Well, he's letting in about six goals a game, too. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, for all those out there listening who, uh, you know, may be goaltenders, we are— Holding tryouts tonight, but the tryouts start actually at the Duchess of Markham, and I guess, you know, <laughs> and the first our dry land training is more along the lines of a uh, Molson dry. Yeah. Mean, so if you pass that test, you're more liable to get a chance to maybe step on the ice because I don't get you there. But that's my kind of team. Well, I was at your book lunch, and I noticed a mm-hmm. couple of your friends. I, I spotted a couple of candidates there. If they play goal, by the way, your ball hockey <laughs> you guys, because well, they yeah, pass the initial just test. Just because you're big
3: doesn't mean uh, you, know, the, the, you know you know you have to be big and move. Yeah. A lot of these guys won't move off the uh, off the bar. But uh, you know what the when you, when you look at the lease, it, it's interesting. Uh, this whole backup goaltending thing is now uh, a story that's like 14 months old. When you go back to uh, you know not having McIlhenny and, yep. and, and letting uh, you know not not so much um, you know um, Pickard uh, you know be, yeah. because uh, I, I can't honestly tell you where he is now. I forget. But uh, letting McIlhenny go, still making a contribution. Uh, the fact that Garrett Sparks didn't work out. Then you had Hutchinson uh, and now cascasuo uh, And you can't certainly blame him for what yeah. uh, what happened last night. So. You're 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 going on three goaltenders going back to I think it's March 20th since a backup goalie won a game for the Leafs, but uh, that's also uh, you know on Dubas for not uh, not fixing that when he had the chance, and certainly now because he's uh, spent uh, so much on the other guys, he doesn't have uh, some you know proper funding to go out and uh, maybe get one now. But but it shouldn't have come to this. They you know they've had enough time to try. And get this right. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, you know, uh, Hutchinson, I think, is probably going to start for the Marlies today. Uh, Joseph Wall's not quite ready yet. Uh, the young uh, y- young draft pick from a couple of years ago. Hutchinson will be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks, especially with a long string of home games to the Marlies. Gets his confidence back. Perhaps we haven't heard the last of him.
2: Well, I would think that if, if I'm Michael Hutchinson, I'm looking at what happened last night. Of course, you don't w- wish ill will on any any one of your you know teammates or competitors. But the fact is, That may give him a little sense of release that, you know, geez, it isn't all me. (laughs) It isn't all me. Yeah, yeah. You know, because here they were, I mean, he was never put in a situation that uh, K2, we'll call him, was put in last night. Because, you know, he was in a very winnable game last night. It was the best player in the league, possibly out. Oh, yeah. And, 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 I mean, the poor guy. But the other
3: best player, you know, not best player in the league, but uh, certainly up there, Malcolm, uh, Malcolm, let it go. But here's the other thing about Babcock. He's had, uh, you know, he's he's, uh, stuck to this thing about not playing... um, not playing Anderson back to back. There's been a couple of nights I think where in the first game Anderson didn't have that much work, and maybe you know maybe you're getting to the stage where the next back to back comes up, you consider starting Anderson in the second game. But uh, you know you know I think the whole team is uh, obviously having an issue there. If you're not winning back to back in this league, uh, you know by the first half of the year then you're not making the playoffs.
2: Well, I think that uh, one of the things with him that this has been a discussion I've had with, the, with a number of uh, guys in the media over over the last uh, year or so with Babcock and almost the and I keep. He We keep referring to this word stubbornness, but that he won't won't shake things up because you know, admittedly, if he starts Anderson in the second game and puts the backup in the first game, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's conceding defeat to the first game that the team's not strong enough. Yeah, but you're also
3: putting your backup in winning conditions for a change, maybe at home with a fresh team in front of you. So maybe, maybe that's uh, you know, uh, maybe that's the way to go. But at this stage, a guy who's won seven hundred games is gonna you know he's gonna dance with Ubrungham sort of thing. Oh, you know, he's not he, yeah. he's going to be very inflexible. I think Babcock's the kind of guy too. I don't you know there weren't many. Losing streaks in Detroit, so uh, or Anaheim, so I I think he's probably not going to be listening to uh, people like uh, you and me try to tell him, that you know he's uh, he should start changing in his ways. Although uh, you know what they say, you start listening to the the fans, pretty soon you're sitting with them.
2: But well, that's exactly right, and I was just going to use that one. But I, I I think the thing in this situation with him is he's in a perfect situation now that. He can't show any sign of weakness or panic. Mm-hmm. His body language seems to be saying some other things. I know when I watch the interviews and you watch him behind the bench, he is looking. He's got that look on his face, but he, uh, it'll be behind closed doors. Hopefully, he's not coming across like that to the players. But, you know, you've worked in a place where there's been lots of turnover. I've worked in offices. When there's blood in the water, guys smell it because, you know, if things are not going well at a certain job, there are changes yep. coming. These players are not stupid. They 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 can sense that. So I think there's an opportunity here where he would. I'm going somewhere at this point. Is that he would be given some grace if he was able to change up some of his stubbornness oh, oh. or stubborn ways, like th- by starting yeah. to back up first I think so. and back to back.
3: I think so. I think so. The other thing to consider is that they have not had the full. And again, other teams have this issue too. But in Toronto, it's particularly important given that they had made these changes to come out of the playoffs. This team has not been together. Since the start, they they began without uh, Hyman and Dermott. Uh, they lost uh, they lost Taveras for a while, and then Hyman comes back. They lose Marner and uh, Kerfoot uh, follows suit. So there, there's some. There's some pieces missing there and it's long term. I mean, you know, they, they, you know, you have to, you have to improvise.
2: That's what they're going to have to do. So it's 30 seconds of You're sitting in the chair today and you get to make a decision. What do you do with the hockey club?
3: What do you do with the hockey club? I don't think I fire the coach. I, I, I think uh, getting away, they, they've put uh, a lot of stock in this uh, road trip, which is the first time to get away for, for a long period of time with a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of downtime, a lot of restaurants. Uh, who knows where they were last night? They would have got to Vegas and, uh, you know, a good time. It's probably a good time, a good, uh, a good place is any to, to uh, blow off some steam
2: yeah, I noticed that last year when I was there, uh, you know, following these guys. I didn't run into any very many of them, but uh, it was uh, it's, it's quite a place where you can get yourself in uh, some real trouble. So, yes. Well, what happens in Vegas stays there, is that what they say? Well, sometimes, uh, you know, that seems to be the case anywhere these days. And yeah. Nashville is not a place uh, to ignore either, as uh, you very well know. Uh, so anyway. No uh, comment. On that note there, I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. Uh, we're going to be back with Rick Vive in a second, and we'll get his input on what's happening. And we'll be back with you. Stay with.
3: It was a rainy day when Pizzaville declared
1: We'll never be the fastest! We'll never be the cheapest! We'll never be the snazziest dressed! What? My point is, we want to be the best!
3: At Pizzaville, we want to make the best pizza, stone-baked.
1: The traditional Italian way.
3: Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian.
0: Authentically Italian.
1: They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports
0: Hour on Zuma Radio.
2: While you're back, it's Mike Wilson here, at the Ultimate Leafs fan, filling in for Naz and Wally along with Lance Hornby. Uh, joining us now on the phone uh, is... Uh, Somebody with a pretty long uh, resume and uh, some terrific accomplishments, one in particular scoring uh, 50 goals three years in a row, and I doubt uh, if that would ever be touched again by uh, any current Maple Leaf, although number 34 probably has a good shot at uh, some point. But uh, we've got to get on the winning track first, and I think uh, without any further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce our next guest, but not only the 350-goal seasons, but I think uh, what one of the most proudest moment is uh, now is a granddad so it's aging us all here with the uh, new young hunter Richard vive in the in the fold. so Ricky how are you this morning I'm great Mike how are you I'm doing pretty good I, I'm here with Lance and uh so right off the bat how's everybody how's the family all doing
1: everybody's doing great uh hunter, I, I his uh my daughter-in-law is amazing and she's got him out all over the place. Dr. Seuss thing that was set up here somewhere in Toronto, and, <laughs> and you could see his eyes were like just looking at everything. Like it's it unbelievable. He's three, little over three months now, and it's uh, been a lot of fun.
3: Shoot, does he shoot left or right, Rick? Can you tell yet? Or
1: well, we don't know, but he—he's <laughs> already grabbing things. He's got—he's got two rattles in his hands, oh. shaking rattles already. So. Well, no. Yeah,
3: maybe a defenseman then.
1: Well, Ricky, I—I
2: I, I mean, one of the things just before the before the break, one of the things we were talking about was, you know, this this losing culture that can develop, and losing is more is very contagious. And I know, speaking to um, Mike Murphy, actually coach a, a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that he talked about when his tenure as a, as a coach was, you know, the losses, especially as a head coach, are much more, and a player too, are much more to recover from than than the wins. So where I'm going with this is, you know, during your time with the Leafs, there were some turbulent years in the 80s. And, you know, when things were going bad. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I'm just trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice about it here, Rick. You know, we're friends, so I'm trying to keep it, keep it all in a friendly you know, atmosphere here. But give us an idea of what's going on behind closed doors with what would be going on with the Leafs right now with the state of what things are going.
1: I mean, you got to look at, at at everything, and and I think one thing you, you they they have to look at is is definitely how they're playing as far as you know the, the giveaways. Uh, I, I think that's probably the biggest uh, problem in their game right now. It's, well, I mean, yeah, they're 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 entering the, the offensive zone sometimes uh, very well. Other times they're turning it over at, at the offensive blue line, and I know when I played. That was one of the worst things you could do. Any coach would get on you and, and you know, go crazy when you turned it over at the offent- offensive blue line. And one of the things they always said was, if you if you don't have a play, then just get it deep and go get it back. And uh, you know, and then of course in their own zone, there's a little bit of, of a problem where you know two guys sometimes attack the same guy, and there's one guy left all alone in front of the net. We've seen it multiple times, but. It's systematic more than anything else, and and right now I think and and uh, more puck battles won perhaps and and uh, eliminate some of those little mistakes, uh, the systematic ones, and you know everything would be okay. But those things are, are very difficult to kind of turn around overnight, and that's something that has to happen over time. And uh, I know everybody's talked about you know this team and says that you know the. Uh, they're still growing and they're still learning. But, you know, you got to look at the fact that most of these guys, uh, the core anyway, have been together for three, four years now, and it still hasn't turned around. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I don't want to speculate that, you know, it's, it's a coaching or it's, uh, it's one thing or another. But uh, certainly something has to fall before uh, this thing gets out of hand.
3: Rick, uh, you were captain of the team, uh, obviously, and uh, I've, I've talked to a number of Leaf captains over the years. I, I think it often gets over uh, overused, overstated the captain's influence on on turning things around at a time like this. But what you know, what what things maybe can can John Tavares do? Maybe just as a calming influence, not necessarily you know grabbing somebody and throwing him throw him against the wall, which would be very uh, you know John Tavares like. But uh, what can uh, what role can John, or really not to just put it on his shoulders, but everybody who wears a letter in that room, what? what what can they do? Do you think to uh, sort of mitigate the damage going on right now?
1: Well, I think whether you wear the C or an A or you don't even wear a letter period. I mean, everybody's got to step up, and that's you know that's especially where the captain and the assistant captains have to you know bear down and start like, like I said eliminating those mistakes. I mean, because they're 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 quite obvious uh, the turnovers and uh, but, you know I don't again you uh, I go back to that goal. Uh, I can't remember who scored Perot or somebody in front of, or no, the Islanders in front of the net, Beauvillier, Right. When when all five guys were blowing the zone and, or four guys and Kerfoot was left all alone out with a two on one in front of him in front of the net. So, you know, those things have to change and you can't make those systematic mistakes and recover from them. So you've got to, you've got to eliminate them. And so I think, those guys going out and playing to those strengths and, and and not making those mistakes, I think would go a long way for everybody else to look at and say, well, Hey, these guys are, you know, they're bearing down, they're they're playing good defense or they're, they're winning puck battles. We got to do the same thing.
2: Yeah. So I think that uh, I mean, one of the things right along that lines, I mean, if you, if you look at, I think Lance just touched on it with uh, John Tavares, I mean the other night uncharacteristically of him, breaking his stick over the goalpost at the end of the game when Cherry scored the empty or The frustrations, and I mean, and one of the things I was trying to allude to when, earlier when I was asking this was, you know, the players last night, uh, Johnson, you know, on, on a back check, I mean, he looked like that he was crossing the Leaf blue line, coming into the, the D zone, and his head was spinning back and forth like that old McKenzie commercial, like he didn't know where to go. And, you know, when the puck went in the net, all of a sudden he was glaring at Muzzin behind the net, like it was his fault. So I think... The thing about it is, is like, you know, and, and if you looked at the body language of Cal uh, Dubas, I mean, he was not a happy guy last night leaning against the wall at the end of the game. So all these little things all start mounting. So I think now, what, the, like, behind the doors, is it, I mean, is it, everybody talks about this being a good thing going on the road, but really, will this be a good thing going on the road for these guys, or does somebody just really have to step up behind that door?
0: I think,
1: yeah, somebody has to kind of settle things down. I mean, cause they're on the road now for what? Another five, I think five. Uh, yep. in a row and, uh, and not easy ones either. I mean, they're going to Vegas. They're going to Colorado, Arizona, on the end of the, the end of the trip's a little bit easier with mm-hmm. Detroit and Buffalo, but, uh, something's got to give. I don't know whether, uh, you know, and again, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know whether it's uh, it's the players, whether it's the coaching staff, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, I think Carl Dubas is a is guy who has to sit back and, and say, what do I need to do here? Mm-hmm. Or do I just need to go in and talk to everybody and say, listen, let's just settle down. Let's play the way we're capable of playing and, and you know, the leaders will take over from there. John breaking his stick, yes, that's uncharacteristic of of Johnny, and I've known him for a long time. He played with my son at the Marleys when they were teenagers. Uh but at a certain point it gets to the point where the frustration just just boils over and and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. It just it, it seems like it's a that snowball going downhill, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, <laughs> well, you and know what, something.
2: I mean, Rick, you know, I mean, so, I mean, you're right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, again, the point I'm trying to make on this also is the fact that, you know, in the dressing room, all of a sudden the, the bantering isn't quite as funny, a little more finger pointing, all those type of things. And, you know, again, back in the 80s, I mean, as Derek Sanderson used to say, I mean, the team that drinks together wins together. So, I mean, you know, when things are going bad, it's on the road, a night on into town, have a big blowout and everybody bands together to protect each other. Well, these guys, they're all going to go back to a hotel room and play video games. Yeah.
1: So, you know, unfortunately, that's today's mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, and and that's just the way it is, Mike. And uh, it, it's it, it's not like it used to be. I mean, we we hung out together as a team. We were always together whether we were out of the bar, whether we were, went to a uh, some Shapery. kind of uh, you know, uh, laser tag or whatever mm-hmm. the heck we were doing. We were, we, for the most part, we were, we were together a lot, and uh, and we became close. Uh, it didn't always translate into success, unfortunately for us. But uh, it, you know, it was one of the things that we we always prided ourselves on was the fact that we didn't point fingers at each other, and and we went out and. and Mm-hmm. Kind of everybody did their job and nobody pointed fingers at anybody else mm-hmm. saying it's your fault. No, it's all of our fault. We're all together, and when we lose, we lose together, and we win together. Well, and I, right now, right now, it seems like there's a little bit of ping, finger pointing going on, right from the top down and and uh, and the bottom up. And uh, when you have that, that, that's that's a sign that something's going to happen. Something big's going to happen. Yeah. Probably pretty soon unless they turn it around. And uh, uh, my guess is that, that if they don't turn it around in the next couple of games, something big is going to happen.
3: Well, you know what, Rick, uh, everyone's, uh, you know, even Mike Babcock acknowledges it, that, uh, you know, St. Louis making the uh, the moves that they did uh, last year and turning things around uh, when they were almost in a similar position to the Maple Leafs. And away they, uh, you know, away they uh, away they went. Of course, they made the drastic move of uh, letting the coach go. But I, I think without making that final move, uh, Mike often talked about the, uh, you know, the Blues being uh, a big team who, uh, you know, really needed to uh, have their time Together and go. I guess the big difference now to when you played is that uh, in the Norris Division, I think the uh, the playoff system was a little bit more uh, forgiving. And uh, right now, uh, you know, it, seasons can indeed be won or lost under this playoff format if you don't get it together in November. So uh, certainly, that's something the least have to watch out for.
1: No, absolutely. I think uh yeah, you're right. I mean you could make the playoffs in our division back number forty some points. <laughs> now, <laughs> the the Norse uh, turtle
3: derby. I used to love covering those.
1: Yeah, personally I don't like the, the current playoff format. I, I hate it. I, I think it's terrible. I, I think it should be you know, if they want to go division play maybe the the first place team in each division and then the next best sixteen uh six teams in the conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, i I think is a little bit more fair, but at the end of the day um it doesn't matter what, no. what way the format is something's got you you, you got to win Lewis, four rounds right absolutely, and you got to get in there first unfortunately yes. and uh but if you look at St louis last year they they didn't have a whole lot of problems they they had a good team uh they they actually played decent. They corrected mm-hmm. their goaltending problem by mm-hmm. bringing in Bennington. Obviously, they fired the coach, brought up, uh, these, uh, that's brought up their assistant coach to be the head coach. And then they had goaltending problems. Their goaltending was was horrible mm-hmm. in the first mm-hmm. part of the season, and they corrected that. And then they, they went on a, a tear. And, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you hear uh, uh, the coach talk about it, and he says, like, you know, we, right around Christmas, I could see that, you know, we were playing extremely well. We were just, we were there, but not quite there. And and then all of a sudden it just turned around when we were on a road trip. We, we got a couple of wins and then we went on from there. So, but right now you look at the, you know, the lease game and there's, there's a lot of holes there. There's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of turnovers. There's a lot of defensive lapses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure whether... Whoever's in goal or not, Freddie's been outstanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't blame, I mean, you can't blame, uh, I can't even pronounce his name.
3: uh, K2 is his nickname. K2. Yeah,
1: Yeah, because I'm watching my son's game last night in Cincinnati, and they've got some Kukaninen or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, here we go. I can't pronounce any of those (laughs) names, but uh, you can't blame him last night. I mean, he was left out to dry several times. He made
3: eight or nine uh, saves uh, off the bat.
1: Yeah, he was good early, and then all of a sudden, those those turnovers and and defensive lapses happen. And, and I don't care if you're Freddie or who you are, when you allow you know six, eight glory or fantastic scoring chances in a game, uh, most goalies aren't going to stop all of those. You know, they might get eighty mm-hmm. or ninety percent of them. Yeah, but that's the problem: is they're giving up too many of those. Yeah.
2: Well, the other thing too is, uh, you know, getting back to, you know, the, I'm just going to, I'm going to pin you down in this. I mean, I think everybody, I mean, as I said to you last night, I said the first opening segment I and mean, the game wasn't five seconds old. And all of a sudden at the talk was, you know, it's the clock ticking on, uh, the coach. And last week when, uh, Kyle Dubas did his State of the Union and addressed the team and talked about everybody being accountable and the consequences for everybody. But, you know, as Lance and I were kind of smiling at that comment, you know, the thing is, well, where do the consequences stop? You know, the, the players are coached by the coach. The coach was hired by the GM. The GM was hired by the president, and the president was hired by the owner. So where do, where does the buck stop? Does everybody get fired and bring in new owners? But so you know what it's going to be. And and with the clock ticking, do you think uh, Mike Babcock's days are numbered?
1: I, I think so. Um, you got to remember the 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 most important thing is is Kyle Dubas did not hire Mike Babcock.
2: That's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. The last
1: time this similar thing happened was Randy Carlisle. There was a lot of talk about him getting fired. What did they do? They replaced the assistant coaches. Okay. Randy stayed on. Well, what were those assistant coaches brought in for? They weren't his guys. And and then the next thing, you know, uh, Randy's fired. Yep. Uh, uh, You know, so they did a similar thing this summer. Mm Mm-hmm. That's uh, I going yeah.
3: well you know if I'm interjecting, I, I, I don't think Randy Carlyle is getting fifty million dollars either though. That's the that you know, that, that's a pretty big uh, check to swallow, which may I'm not saying anything that you I'm not disagreeing with anything you said, but uh that's sort of hanging out there too. I don't know if uh, you know, the, the bosses at on Bay Street want to cut that big of a check just yet for Mike Babcock. Well we'll he, see
1: he's got what, two years left plus this year?
3: Oh, oh more than that, yeah. He's he's halfway through, so I'm four, through, I think. Four. Yeah.
1: Well okay. The- do you think forty million dollars is going
3: to? Oh, they they, a, <laughs> well, they have the money, but you know what? There's also a uh, you know that's a company. I think that uh, you know they've been uh, they've been cutting some other people in the uh, in the uh, organization uh, in terms of the, the the broadcast out of it. So uh, who knows? But that I'm just well, saying that's a. We'll I, I just see.
1: don't think that money is a factor when it comes to that. I mean, uh, it, it it was a it, it was always a factor in the old days. Uh, especially with Harold Ballard, all he wanted to do was make money and he didn't want to spend money. But now it's different. There's, I mean, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry that they have going with all the teams and uh, the basketball team, the soccer team, the football team, the hockey team. And uh, I'm not, depending on, you know, who's making those decisions. I, I just don't think money is a factor. I think, one thing to remember is, is that Kyle Dubas didn't hire Mike Babcock. You're and absolutely right. I think everybody's got to remember that. And a lot of, 90% of the time when a general manager comes in and they're not the guy that hired that coach and things go bad, that coach usually is gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. you look at the same thing happened in uh, in uh, uh, Minnesota, or not Minnesota, but I uh, forget where it was, where the GM came in and it happens all the oh, yeah. time. I yeah. Mean, yeah. You, you want your own guy in place. And, uh, and, you know, you look at the situation, the the assistants were replaced, mm-hmm. and then you look at who's coaching their farm team. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: you,
2: the know the th- co- you know the guy- thing, Rick, oh, sorry, Rick, didn't mean to interrupt. But, the, you know, the thing with uh, uh, Mike, I think, is in fairness to him, is the fact that uh, uh, irony aside here is the fact that he's probably going to get fired for everything he's preached that's wrong with the team. I mean, one of his greatest lines is the fact is never let your talent override your work ethic. And you can see that's lacking in the team right now. I mean, they're just getting outworked by other teams. And the other part about it is the fact that he's always put that to the side, the talent part. And it's it's the strength of a good team is depth when you do run into some adversity, particularly injuries. And the Leafs loaded up on that last summer. And there's opportunity abound for guys to step up. And so far... You know, nobody's really done that. So, I mean, the onus is on the players, and that's who I think has to be accountable at the end of the day. But, you know, you know the way it works. You can't fire all the players. So, unfortunately, I think the coach is the one that gets the bullet.
1: They have contracts uh, that, you know, whether or not they're in the minor, they they waive them and they get through waivers and they go to the minors. They still get paid the same amount of money. They're pretty much all on one-way contracts. Maybe a couple of of them aren't, but... uh, You know, but the the thing is, is, you know, I mean, there's a lot of talk that they're on the same page, Kyle and Mike. And, and, you know, I I like both of the guys. I've met them both. I've had several conversations with them. Mike and Mike's a great guy. Uh, It's funny because a lot of the coaches I played for, they were, they were, you hated them when you were around the (laughs) ring. You just couldn't stand (laughs) them. But then if you got together with them, outside the rink at a bar or something and you're sitting talking and they're great people. And, and Mike is the same way. He's a great person. He's a great family guy. Uh, You know, but I think he's struggling to to get these guys to play perhaps the way he wants. The the bottom line is, is, you know, the team is not built on a team that's going to grind it out every night. And then they're going to block shots every night and they're going to, yeah, they're not built that way. No, Kyle no. Dubas has come out and said, "I'm building my team with speed and skill, skill of mm-hmm. LeBron." Well, but what has won the Stanley Cup uh, every year, like yeah. except, with the exception of the Pittsburgh Penguins, the year they won their two, or actually the first one, maybe not the second one, but the first one was yes, skill and speed. But then they they kind of tinkered a little bit and they brought in a little bit more grit and determination. It's not so much fighting or 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 hitting guys through the glass. It's just it's winning those battles, winning those one on one battles, being responsible defensively and yeah. not turning pucks over. And that's that's the overriding problem right now, is that is what they're doing. And they're not winning in one on one battles. They're turning pucks over in dangerous areas and it's hurting them. Yeah. And who's who's responsible for that ultimately? The players. It's it's well, it's the players, but it's the coach, too. Yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, in the old days, if you played like that, half those guys would be sitting in the press box, and they'd be bringing guys up from the minors. Well, you can't do that now
2: nope. because yeah. of the
1: salary cap and the fact that they all have contracts. And that was the only way that you could get it done was by sitting guys up and saying, hey, you're not going to play until you play the responsibly and uh and help all your teammates, and that I see that happening, but there there's not a whole lot you can do about it. The, the weapons that you have to get them to play uh, that way are gone. The only thing you can do is take away ice time by sitting them on the bench, but you have to you have to address them. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can't just set sit four guys in the press box and no. bring four guys up because of the salary cap. Right, right, right. Well, Kev,
2: you know, I hate to uh, cut you off there, Rick, but, you know, we've got, um, we're running into time constraints. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. And, uh, you know, hopefully, Hunter, now you better get a stick in him pretty quick and uh, report back to us uh, which way he's shooting because, you know, we're looking at uh, what it'll be, what do we, uh, 2020, so probably
1: 2030, 2037. Yes. 2037. Yeah, <laughs> 2037. <laughs> <laughs> someone tweeted that out. I went, I started doing the math. I went, hmm. To <laughs> be seventy-seven years old. Like, <laughs> well, best to everybody. I'm, if I'm alive and he is in the in the draft, I will definitely be there. I can guarantee you All that. Right, well, we'll, listen, we'll, no doubt about that. We'll get a stick in his hand pretty soon, and uh, I'm looking forward to the fall as well. I have a book coming out in the fall, and uh, oh, great! There's no name on the book yet, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it's gonna be exciting it's uh it's gonna be about my entire life and uh oh, cool. from you know the beginning to the very end and uh or up to current time oh, wow.
3: are you writing it yourself Rick or
1: uh, some uh no Scotty Morrison's writing it with me and uh I know that guy yeah, yeah. Yeah, well everybody knows Scotty. and oh, uh, okay. Scotty's a great person and uh a very nice man and uh a good writer and uh so him and I have had I don't know how many sessions and probably a, a lot more sessions to go before it's completed. And uh, I'm looking forward to it coming out next fall. And All uh, uh, oh,
2: the guys will get you on the show here and you can talk about it. I got to hear all about this.
1: Oh, yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I mean, yeah, it'll be a good stuff one. stuff in there that people aren't going to like, but that's okay. Okay, well, listen,
2: uh, Rick. We we got a we got run here. So, um, all the best to everybody. Uh, you know, enjoy the rest of the day, and uh, we'll catch up soon, my friend.
1: Absolutely. Okay,
2: thanks, yeah. Ricky. Okay, so there we are. We've uh, we learned something new today. New book coming yes. out from uh, Mister uh, Number Twenty Two. So, uh, we will. Go, we're going to take a short break. We're going to be back with uh, Kevin Shane. Talk about what's going on around the Hockey Hall of Fame.
1: It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when we realised that our extra-large pizza is two whole inches longer than the so-called extra-large from the big pizza conglomerates. How do they even call theirs extra-large when
3: Pizzaville gives you 18 whopping inches, steaming hot? Because, let's be honest, who wouldn't want two more inches? Pizzaville Stone Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian.
1: They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back,
2: It's Mike Wilson here with Lance Hornby. Uh, we had just had a great conversation with uh, Rick Vive on uh, the state of the Leafs. And like all of us, not a lot of answers, but uh, we'll carry on. So with us joining us now, it's a very busy weekend in Toronto with the Hockey Hall of Fame inductions tomorrow night. Uh, And one of our, a good friend of ours, a very accomplished, I guess I could call him the James Brown of almost the media world, uh, the busiest guy around, (laughs) Mr. Kevin Shea, like the author of uh, number 17 book is coming up. Uh, all his work is uh, terrific, and one of the, the centennial book he did on the Maple Leafs is an uh, exceptional piece of work. Very, Very much so, yes. They did the Hall of Fame book also, and but he's also running around doing lots of things. Fill us in on what's going on at the Hall today there, Mr. Shea. <laughs> I feel good. Um,
0: <laughs> just keeping real busy. First of all, great to talk to you guys, and a uh, lovely day today. Jeez. Yeah, the whole Hockey Hall of Fame induction weekend is a pretty special time, spread from Friday afternoon through until Monday's induction gala uh, tomorrow night. So that'll be a lot of fun. Today's a real fun day, a real special day. It's the, uh, the Legends Classic game where some of the greats of the game are going to uh, be facing off against each other for just a, a terrific game for the fans. Uh, we've got Matt Sundin captaining one team, Nicholas Lindstrom on the other team. So it's battle of the Swedish superstars and a lot of the, the greats of the game over the last couple of, uh, probably the last couple of decades anyway. Uh, pulling on the equipment, some for the first time in a long time, and, and uh, out there to have some fun and entertain the guests.
3: Yeah, Kevin. Uh, it's it, interesting uh, mix of uh, players going this year. Uh, certainly, uh, a lot of people expected uh, Haley Wickenheiser. Uh, some of the names, uh, maybe uh, to uh, younger hockey fans, aren't that uh, familiar. But uh, people, uh, you know, such as Carbono, Jim Rutherford, those guys uh, certainly earned in their spurs to get in the in the Hall of Fame in a year when uh, the Hall had a chance, I think, to uh, you know address some people who've been waiting uh, for a long time.
0: Well, that's exactly it, Lance, and. and you know, it's one of the best kept secrets of the industry is, you know, who's going to go in and, and how they're going to go in and who was missed and who wasn't. And it always prompts some great discussion. But, you know, there's a, a really good class of, of inductees this year and some, some wonderful people. You know, it's outside of the big scorers too and which has been, kind of what identified the uh, the inductees through the years as well, but to see Guy Carboneau going in, who, although he'd been a prodigious scorer in junior, certainly had a different career as a, a terrific defensive forward going into and And, uh, you know, uh, Václav Nedomansky, who... Yeah, great story. T- it really, really is. I mean, his NHL story is one thing, but we have to remember it's not the NHL Hall of Fame. It's, in fact, the Hockey Hall of Fame. And his story from playing in Czechoslovakia and certainly the WHA uh, angle of his story too he was a tremendous player with the Toronto Toros you know it's just a a great story as well Haley of course was a a wonderful addition and just lovely to see her and, and the other women who've gone in over the last several years too so it's a it's a, a great class this year, and looking forward to the induction tomorrow night.
2: Well, one of the things that, that we all have to keep in mind, also, and it is the, called the Hockey Hall of Fame, and hockey is more than just scoring goals or you know winning games or, or whatever it is. Although it is all about winning games, but the fact of the matter, I think, you know, even though this may not be the most sexiest of uh, induction, you know, years. They covered all the bases from management to international to women's Mm -hmm. to that all around good hockey player that plays both ends of the ice, which is so important today, that 200 foot game. So I think identifying it like that just gives the identity to the National Hockey League that it's more than just scoring 500 goals and that gets you automatically in the, in the, you
0: know, the hall. Yeah, spot on, Mike. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's it's an all-around game and and showing the athletes who showed those dif- different abilities. Interesting discussion took place earlier this week, one that I've had actually over the last several years and and I have to, to stay out of a little bit, but uh, but you know, should the role of of a person who created space for his teammates, we'll say, should it be identified as well? Should people like John Ferguson, Ty Domi, nope. Bob Probert, should some of those guys be considered for the Hockey mm-hmm. Hall of Fame? And it was an interesting discussion. I don't know that we ever will reconcile the the final answer, and it's mm-hmm. not up to, to us anyway. It's up to the selection committee too, but there certainly has been a role through the years, an important role that was played by players of that ilk who, who defended their teammates, created more space for them to do what they did best. and. Mm-hmm. So well, you remember when a interesting discussion
3: remember when they put them in the all-star game everybody went nuts uh, <laughs> a few years ago but uh yes, you know what exactly. they you know you're right uh, Kevin it's interesting they they do have their place in the game and maybe we will definitely look uh you know maybe not this year and there's certainly some uh you know as you get closer to I think Jerome McGinland's a. Uh, eligible next year, and then beyond that, uh, the sedines are a lock. So, uh, should be interesting as we uh, we go on and, and maybe uh, get past some of the obvious people who are going in. If uh, if uh, space is, named. I think John Ferguson is a great example of what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, it, it just if nothing else, it prompts great discussion, but it it does open our eyes to the need to evaluate at least as, as fans anyway, all levels of the game, all facets of the game as well, and the, the role that they play in, in contributing to this game that we love so much.
3: I think Eddie Shaq said at his book launch the other day that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Not that you'd expect Eddie to say anything different, but uh, he said if, if, he, if his mouth would stop getting in the way he, he could have been in years ago.
0: Why, well, when you think about it, you know, here was a guy who certainly could score. His junior scoring was prodigious as well, but his, he could certainly score the 20-plus goal seasons across various teams. Right. Uh, you know, the entertainment actor, also played a role in hockey as well. He was my favorite player as a little boy growing yeah. up. I just loved Eddie Shack and could hardly wait and just kept my fingers crossed that he might be one of the three stars come out and do his, <laughs> do little, his little thing around that. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, that was... <laughs> well, well, I watched Haley Wickenheiser get interviewed there to listen to her, get interviewed the other day, and one of the comments she made was working with the Leafs and the development side is the standing on the ice now with these players, and even that fourth line player, or the player that's not even on the fourth line, the level of ability that these guys have is exceptional, even at that stage of their role on the team. So that speaks volumes again to what we're just discussing here about that role player and the significance they have on, on a hockey club.
0: Yeah, I'm the sure. game has evolved so much from the time that we were little boys that our... our- yeah. Generations past we're, uh, were watching the game and infusing that passion into us as well. We do have to evaluate all that. You do have to remember, and this is something that that gets drilled into my head by myself on a regular basis: is that every one of those guys who are playing, doesn't matter, who on, were the best player on their team, probably the best player in their league, maybe even the best player in their city or town when they were growing up, and and just found their role as they as they progressed into the National Hockey League. And these are all outstanding athletes, all outstanding players who've just had to have their roles defined as they went along to fit into the league or to, uh, to utilize their skills most efficiently.
2: Well, to your point, they walk into their first training camp and they walk in a room and they've just, they've got this sort of, uh, uh, you, know, um, you know, record-breaking resume behind them from their minor career and they look around the room and every guy in the room has the same resume. Yeah, so well, you've got to separate yourself from those guys in the room and Whatever it takes. I mean, look at Doug Jarvis, where he came out of Peterborough. He was a a proficient scorer, and he was a Marley killer. But look at his role in the National Hockey League and how he lasted.
0: Yeah, well, and even Guy Carbono this year, Carbono same a, sort of thing. Exactly. We look at, to people like Nick Kiprios. You know, there's so many, uh, so many different examples that we can utilize here. But uh, that's exactly. It. But you have to find your spot, and that's what it's all about. And sometimes that spot evolves too. We look at Jason Spezza with the Leafs this year, among many, but uh, who you know was such a great scorer as he came through junior certainly when he played with Ottawa, but has had to see his role defined differently as he went on. Steve Eiserman, probably the best example of that as well, how his role changed as, as his career developed.
2: Well, Kev, as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you, and we at the time is our enemy once again. So we're out of time. Uh, you know, Maple Leafs, I guess they're running into that same problem every night, <laughs> it seems these nights. Nice. Um, they're three hours ahead yeah. of us now, though. So. <laughs> they're three hours ahead, so maybe some of them are just getting in. But well, regardless, us, I should say. Anyway, so anyway, we, um, we thank you for your time and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you in the future. And, and listen, I uh, hope all goes well today and tomorrow.
0: Perfect. Well, I thank you for that. Two of my favorite people there on the radio love this very much. Thank you guys very much. We'll okay, see you tomorrow, Thanks, Kev. Kev.
2: Well, we are, as I said, we're in the wrap-up time, and I guess I should mention before I go a couple of things here. Number one, my friend Mr. Hornby has a book out. It's a terrific book called "If These Walls Could Talk" on the Toronto and a lot of things over. Probably thirty six years now on the beat, is it not?
3: Yes, yes, and I think it's about time. Uh, you know, especially with the Leafs going the way they are, for a little levity, and that's certainly what this uh, book is all about. Great stories about the Maple Leafs uh, going back a hundred years, dressing room, locker room, travel, that kind of thing. So if uh, you know, if if you're looking for a reason to uh, to like the Leafs again, some of these stories may bring a smile to your face.
2: And, and, and they did. I read it. It's, it's it's very good. Now the other thing too is again my second shameless self-promotion is uh to, i'll be at the sport card expo this afternoon i was there the last couple of days uh, with our book that lance and i did together uh but today if uh, no reason if you don't want to come and see me a couple other things you can see out there a lot of players today from the likes of chris chelios bob nystrom bobby hall the aforementioned uh shack will be there signing his new book uh saying he's always worth the price of admission to uh, go and see him yeah you know and you've got dougie gilmore will be out there today so lots and lots of characters out at the Sport Expo at the International Center at the airport. So I'll be there today. So anyway, drop by if you can and say hi. Uh, Lance, thanks for joining me today. It was a terrific show as usual. Great. Thanks for having me on. I
0: appreciate it. Okay, great.
2: And uh, listen, guys, listen again, and
0: we'll talk to you again soon. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.